I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about the Library of Congress. So grab your rapid transit literary line. And let's get civical. Everybody. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Let's Get Civical. I'm Lizzie Stewart. And I am Arden Walentowski. And today we're doing something very fun. Something we've talked about doing for a long, long time. Books, books, books. We have to have them. We're going to the to the capital of books. Capital of books, but also movies and music and documents true. and lots of stuff. Yeah, things. I forget about the other stuff. Yeah. But that's actually, that's true. Like, mm-hmm. significant works to America and yeah. American culture and identity yep. is locked up in this little castle. Can you imagine having something of yours be considered... As 
having a place in the Library of Congress. It's truly what I aspire to. I think I would poop my pants. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be like, what? (laughs) What a crazy thing. I know. It's crazy. I would hope that like, like, I wonder what their parameters are for like movies and TV shows. Yeah. Like books that are good books, but not pertinent to American history or politics or civics. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. What's their standard? Like you have to have an Oscar and a and a and a Golden Globe, and then yeah, that yeah, particular yeah. movie like, ha- can be entered into the Library of Congress because that's what we're talking yeah. about today. Yeah, we're talking about Library of Congress, obviously. Yeah, I do wonder what the like. How do you determine right what has cultural significance right to American culture? Like, is it you know sales? Is it tweets? Is right. it like, like, and who? Who did, like, how, right, you know, what is the selection process? Whom among the Library of Congress right. gets to decide, hey, do you know what has cultural significance? The Broadway musical King Kong. It should be submitted to the Library of Congress. This is my, this is my platform mm-hmm. to put forth the nomination of King Kong the musical <laughs> into the Library of Congress. That is what this whole episode is about. Maybe it's one of those very special interns and you could get an internship and then submit your own suggestion, which is, of course, King Kong on Broadway. King Kong on Broadway. And then... And, you know, honestly, like, maybe this is my next move. Yeah. Is to just forget everything else. And and focus on the task at hand, which is getting King Kong on Broadway submitted into the Library of Congress as a piece of art that has cultural significance to America and Americans alike. I think you should start a change.org petition. You're right. And and I will. And mm-hmm. and I will. I think you should do that. I love that. Yep. So that's what we're going to be doing. That's what I'm doing. Get, goodbye, everybody. I have work to do. Uh, <laughs> see you next time. <laughs> Arden's now going to drown alone doing this episode. Yeah, she's just going to read the notes. Read the notes. Uh, goodbye. And then good. hang up. No. <laughs> Click. No, goodbye. No, no. I would never I would never leave. I would never leave because obviously yeah. you need somebody as good as research as I to oh, read these notes and read them incorrectly most of the time. I would, I would absolutely drown. It would just be me going. The Library of Congress is housed in three buildings on. <laughs> I would have. It would be the most boring thing in the world. You would be reading it correctly too. Is the thing like there would be no mistakes, and that's not why our listeners come. Our listeners no. come to hear me truly not know how to read that's why that's why we're all gathered it's why we're all gathered here today we're also gathered in the event that we talk about some hot assassin because you never know when they're gonna pop up never know when they're gonna pop up and you never know if an assassin is gonna be hot or not and it is a waste of a good assassin to have a not hot assassin we've had some not hot assassins mckinley's assassin not hot not hot not hot hot. bummer no bummer Huge waste. I mean, that he was assassinated and that also his assassin was not hot. Yes. You know? Yes. So with that said, we'll see if an assassin comes up today. Who knows if it will or not. Maybe not. It's Library of Congress. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Maybe we'll come across a book burner. 
Exactly right. We could have come across a book burner. We'll find out. Yeah. We'll find out. But before we hop in, do you want to talk about today's sources? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure. So these notes are coming from history.com, the Library of Congress, but obviously. Obviously. And a nice little website called DCist, like Washington, D.C. I-S-T. List.com. I-S-T. Yeah. DCist. All right, so let's start off with a question that is on everybody's mind, which is, what is she? What? What is she? What is the Library of Congress, if you haven't heard of it? And that's totally fine. Yeah. I'm going to tell you what she is. She is a bitch. She's a lover. She's a child. She's a mother. She's a sinner. She's a saint. She do not feel a thing. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. (laughs) Library of Congress. The Library of Congress, housed in three buildings on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., is the research library of the U.S. Congress and is considered the National Library of the United States. So this is the the HQ of libraries. It is the USPL, the United States Public Library. It is also the largest library in the world with a collection of more than 170 million items. Okay, go off. Size matters, Mm -hmm. you know. A granite building with a golden torch topping its dome, the Library of Congress is tucked just to the east of the Capitol. Its ornate gingerbread exterior, as FDR reportedly once described it, and elaborately decorated interior are meant to celebrate the many rich literary treasures found inside. I love this idea of FDR, God rest his soul, looking at this building and going, a gingerbread house. (laughs) Yum, yum. Yum, yum. Can't you see it? a piece of that Library of Congress. The icing is piped right here with a candy cane. Right here. Do you see the gumdrops? The gumdrops? Do you not see? (laughs) On On the ceiling. Yeah, she's she's gorgeous. We pass we pass mm-hmm. by her. We, we passed her. She's lovely. She is. Look, yep. she is a regal building. She as is. she should be. Yes. So, let's talk about how the Library of Congress was bestowed upon us. How we acquired yes. her. So the library, the story of the Library of Congress began in 1800 when President John Adams approved a congressional act that moved the national capital from Philadelphia to Washington, D.C. As part of that bill, a sum of $5,000 was earmarked for books intended for use by the U.S. Congress. So, like, we've got a bill on goats. We need to do some research on goats. We don't have Mm -hmm. the internet yet. Let's go to the book on goats. We have to find the book on goats. We find the book on goats. Under Adams' immediate successor, Thomas Jefferson, Congress passed another law under which the United States president appoints someone to the official post of librarian of Congress. So we're Ooh. becoming official. Yes. We're getting ahead. We're getting ahead. We've made a plan. We're going to have a library. Now we have somebody who's going to run the library. It's all very good. What an awesome position. I know. Shout out to the librarian of Congress. That's some rock and roll stuff. It's very cool. Jefferson named the first two librarians who each did double duty as clerk for the House of Representatives. 
the two positions were separated in 1855 later on. Well, sure. I mean, there's only six people in a goat. Everybody right. has to double up. It's like, John and John, you're going to be in the house, of course, but then you're also just, you're going to do some time. You're going to get some hours in at the library. The and you're going to kind of do both because yeah. we only got three other people to run right. this entire country and the goat's busy. And the goat's busy. And you're making $100 a year. So, like, suck it up. Yeah. Let it up. Jefferson's contribution to the Library of Congress didn't stop there. In August of 1814, during the War of 1812, British forces burned the Capitol, destroying the still small Congressional Library. So we've built it. We have people running it. And then the Brits just come in and think they can destroy it. And so they do. It's just like, why the libraries? Why? You know, just leave the library. I mean, if I was a British, I'd be like, oh my God, wait, guys, hold on. Take the books. books. These are just books. Let's respect the books. The books. We're not going to burn the books. No, the, book, we, the we books did not. We will circle back and figure out what to do with the books, but there's nobody here. Nobody here. So let's not destroy here. No. Mm. I know. Very annoying. The following year, Congress purchased Jefferson's extensive personal library, including some 6,487 books, for some $23,950 which became the foundation of the new Library of Congress. Okay, flex. Flex, mm-hmm. Thomas Jefferson. Uh, 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 with your uh, 6,000 uh. books. What is that? That's like four cents a book? Are you asking me to do complex math right now? I That's am, insane. because we know I cannot do... Hold on. We're gonna... I'm gonna... I want to know how much this is roughly per book. Per book? I said four cents I mean, because originally I was like $4, but I was like, no, that could not possibly work out math-wise. This is, but this is very simple math that we can never yeah, do. Yeah, I think which is it's, I would say four, because six times four is 24, right? Oh, yeah. It's like, I, oh my gosh, my initial instinct was right. Not four cents. It's roughly $3.70 a book, which is still, I feel like, pricey for Well, you have to imagine these are nice books. That. It's not like, right. it's not like Thomas Jefferson has been going to the Strand and picking up just books for you know a shilling and and compiling you know graphic novels and magazines in his collection these are like leather bound books of of worth and note not paperback copies of to kill a mockingbird correct correct although a great book but shout out shout shout out. out yeah I just, I guess I thought it would be less given the amount of inflation since then. But you're correct. They are probably leather bound, very rare. Yeah. Hyper specific. First editions. Yeah. I mean, TJ was no country bumpkin. No. He did he like, also, like to live to, in he the He was country. in France. Like, this guy's been all over the world collecting books and stuff. Yep. He's got novels in all sorts of languages, I guarantee you. That's right. So, unfortunately, though, another fire in 1850, this time accidental, destroyed some 35,000 volumes, including almost two-thirds of Jefferson's original contribution. I just... That's so upsetting. It's so upsetting. Why did it take us so long to learn about wood burning? Why? Ryan started the fire! For those office fans out there. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate... It's unfortunate because that's, I mean, 35,000 volumes. I mean, that's just, that's, it hurts. Mm-hmm. It hurts the heart 
Yep. To think about all those books. Yep. If I was Jefferson, I would be pissed. I mean, I I don't think he was alive at this point. But if I was his ghost, I'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? I've been kidding me. I gave this to you a great deal. Literally, you've had it for maybe 40 years. And and this is it? Oh, come Mm -hmm. on. Stop burning fire around paper. How about that? How about that? How about that? So after the fire, obviously a lot of stuff happened. We are going to talk about how it became and grew into this national library that we know and love it today. So the individual responsible for transforming the Library of Congress into an institution of national significance was Ainsworth Rand Spofford. What a name. I love Ainsworth Ainsworth. Rand Spofford. I love it. I love it. I great name. Shout great out to Ainsworth name. and any Ainsworths out there. Mm-hmm. Not a name you see much. No. Spofford was the librarian of Congress from 1864 to 1897. Spofford applied Jefferson's philosophy on a grand scale. So he was at this post for 30 plus years and he was mm-hmm. like, you know what? We're going to do this bigger. We're going to do this better. Strap in. Keep your hands and feet inside the ride at all times. Get Let's ready. blow this up. Yep. He linked the library's legislative and national functions, building a comprehensive collection for both the legislature and the nation. In obtaining greatly increased support from Congress, Spofford employed a combination of logic, flattery, and nationalistic rhetoric. He's like, okay, you're literally, you're, you're gorgeous. First and foremost. <laughs> First and you foremost, are have you seen your star? Mm-hmm. I have to say, this is really working for you. Mm-hmm. Secondly, think about it. A library that has everything an American could want. Come on. Come on. A beauty like you? you don't you, you want? Know. I want. People want. People, what do you want? I they want. They want you to help them obtain it because you are... Gorgeous. 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 In 1867, his acquisitions made the Library of Congress the largest library in the United States. Spofford's other major achievements were the centralization in 1870 of all U.S. copyright activities at the library, which ensured the continuing growth of the collections by stipulating that two copies of every book, pamphlet, map, print, and piece of music registered for copyright be deposited in the library. And construction of a separate building, a 26-year struggle not completed until 1897. So he's like, if you want to write a book, if you want to publish a book, if you're going to have some music, two copies have to come to us. Uh-huh. Done. In case we lose one of them in a fire because, quite frankly, it's Because, quite twice. simply, we won't stop putting an open flame next to parchment. And, and in we a building stop. built of wood. Of wood. Of wood. But don't worry, we have something in the mix. It's just going to take us 20 plus years mm-hmm. to get it up. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Spofford being he great. Knew what was up. He's like, Americans, yeah. we're not a bright people. <laughs> Two copies, <laughs> please. But we're going we're gonna to turn this ship around. That's right. 
In the early 20th century, the Library of Congress took another great leap forward thanks to the support of President Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. Who, in 1903, issued an executive order transferring the records of the Continental Congress and the personal papers of six founding fathers, George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, Benjamin Franklin, James Madison, and James Monroe, to the library from the State Department. So he's like, I'm about to legitimize this even more. I'm about to put these invaluable pieces of history in this library by State Department Bye. Bye. We're going to go over here to the very beautiful gingerbread house building and put in these papers. Right. Because they belong here. They're important documents. They belong here. They belong here. They're archives. Mm-hmm. We are now the Central Archive of the United States. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. So after that, President Warren G. Harding issued another key executive order in 1921. I love the like unanimously, well, pretty much unanimous. It's like the presidents are the ones who are like, let's do this shit. Yeah. Well, because it's like one of those, it's one of those like non-threatening things, right? Where it's like, everybody agrees that we all like the library. Right. You know, not necessarily what's contained inside, but the idea of the library is a generally apolitical thing. So if you're just trying to do something and be like, look what I did. I signed this act that gave the Library of Congress this. And people hear it and they're like, okay, cool. Yeah, that's great. Okay, that's great. That's okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course. So Warren G. Harding issued another key executive order in 1921, transferring the original copies of the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution to the Library of Congress for safekeeping and to display to the public. Yes. 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 These founding documents would move to their permanent home in the National Archives in 1952. 
Balancing its legislative, national, and after World War II international roles, the Library of Congress has steadily grown. Historically, its major problem has been lack of space, not lack of support, which seems mm. to be a common a common theme. We remember the like well, I guess this is different because the Library of Congress is not gonna like digitize. There's like it's the one thing that like Yeah, you can you of need want space the, for all of this stuff. The hard copies. Yeah, you need the hard copies. It's not like the VA with the sinking floors where we're like, No, okay, no. If we just put all of the records on in a digital platform, yes, it would right. take time and money, but then we could solve a big problem. This is literally just they need space. 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 The Librarian of Congress, Archibald McLeach. Another great name. Great name. Great, great name. name. From 1939 to 1944, was when he was Librarian of Congress, stressed the library's roles as a symbol of democracy and a cultural institution. True. Luther H. Evans. Also a good name. Not as strong as Archibald, but good. No. He was Librarian of Congress from 1945 to 1953, and he pushed forward the library's bibliographic and international activities. Okay. Love. L. Quincy Mumford. Strong. A strong Strong. Name. Strong. He was Librarian of Congress from 1954 to 1974, and he greatly expanded all of the library's roles but particularly its bibliographic activities and foreign acquisitions. So we're acquiring from abroad. We've got to acquire. Mm -hmm. A new public role for the library began to emerge under the leadership of historian Daniel J. Borston, Librarian of Congress from 1975 to 1987. He emphasized the library's role as a natural cultural resource, which is, I think, how we think about it today. Yeah. That's when I think of Library of Congress, like, um, yes, it's like a cultural hub. Mm-hmm. And he greatly increased the institution's visibility. Yes, publicize, honey. Yes, get some marketing out there. Brand. All publicity is good publicity. Mm-hmm. So by 2016, when Carla Hayden was sworn in as the first woman and first African American to become librarian of Congress, holy bejesus, that mm-hmm. is very recent. The library had more than 3,000 people on staff and more than 38 million books and 70 million manuscripts in its catalog. Woo! Huge! No wonder they need space. And oh my god. Like, SOS. Gotta get them some space. Some space. Okay. Now we have a very big list of my favorite thing in the world, which are fun facts, fun facts, fun facts, fun facts, fun facts about the Library of Congress. Yeah. A lot of fun facts today because it's a place that just has fun facts, you know? It has so there many some fun things. facts. Some episodes don't have a lot of fun facts. Sometimes we just get one. But today, we're going to revel in fun facts. We have a lot. They're all coming from the DCist website. And believe it or not, I left some out. That's insane. That's insane because this is like a page and a half of mm-hmm. fun facts. I know. And I really, I had to cut some out because we did not, it. It, we don't, we needed to cut for time. We have to cut for time. Mm-hmm. Let's kick off with fun fact number one. So the library was created to provide books solely for the use of Congress, which it has since transformed from but that was its original purpose was to be just something for this one institution it was originally housed in a spacious central room in the capitol 
a plaque now marks the approximate location of the first library, and it also states grimly, quote, the books in the library. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> oh Could we God, have phrased this, this a okay, different okay, way? Okay. <laughs> this is, oh, my God. We're so dramatic. Okay. This is what this plaque says in the capital. And I quote, the books in the library were used to kindle the flames that destroyed this section of the building in the War of 1812. It's like they're blaming the books. Right. They're like, had the books not been there, we probably wouldn't have lost this portion of the capital. <laughs> but you know what? The books were there. It's all their fault. Also, they kindle were the, the flames? For the flames. Oh, my God. I know. We're so dramatic. Was this written by Alexander Hamilton? Because, uh-huh. geez, Louise is this dramatique. Queen. Queen Ham. That's hysterical. Technically, according to the Library of Congress historian John Cole, public access to the library has been permitted as early as the 1830s because it was in a publicly accessible building. But it wasn't until the opening of reading rooms in the new building in 1897 that the library officially began publicizing access to materials. So nowadays, you can go to the Library of Congress and poke about and go in the reading room and do all the things that you would do in a library. It's very exciting. Be in the gingerbread house. Yes. Be amongst the 38 million books, etc. Next fun fact. Another fire in 1851 ravaged the library's collection leading to the design of a fireproof cast iron room in the Capitol. So they're like, hold on. Things keep catching on fire. Yes. What about we just make the whole, all the walls iron? <laughs> Let's just put iron in there. Because there's no happen. in between. It's either yes, wood. It's just, it's wood or iron. And kindling. Yes. Iron. Iron. We have no other iron. option. A faulty chimney flue took the blame for the devastating blaze on, oh, shame, Christmas Eve in 1851. And that burned more than half the library's 55,000 volume collection, including, as we discussed, two-thirds of Jefferson's library. That led the architect of the Capitol, Thomas U. Walter, to design a new fireproof cast iron room in the Capitol's west front for the library. It opened on August 23, 1853. And Walter also designed the Capitol's cast iron dome. So if you need your iron, go to Thomas U. Walter. Apparently he's got it all. He's got it all. The Ironclad Library was widely admired and drew plenty of tourists. That is, until it was dismantled in 1901 and the cast iron sold for scrap. Oh my god. I know. They were like, ugh, we don't need this anymore. We have light bulbs now. <laughs> Get rid of the iron, make a Ford Fiesta, call it a day. <laughs> we spent so much work to save the books for 50 years. And then we're like, yeah. Bye. thank you, thank Bye. you for your service. We Anybody want her? We can go back to the wood. Oh my god. Next fun fact. The library completed an underground rapid transit literally this is a tongue twister rapid transit liter literary line rapid transit literary line try saying that three times fast it's hard that's hard in 1895 to ferry books to and from the capital it's the subway for the books Mm -hmm. 
Even though the Library of Congress would be located just across the street, a tunnel was constructed and an electric conveyor system developed to easily send books back and forth to the Capitol. Because what a, what a, you don't want to walk. No, I don't want to walk. No. Nobody wants to walk to get the books across the street. It's too much work. No. Give me a, build a tunnel mm -hmm. and shoot it through an elevator like it's at a bank. A Washington Post article on September 13, 1895, described the new system. The tunnel, about six feet high and four feet wide, so at, quote, so as easily to admit a man in case of any tie-up in the rapid transit literary line, end quote, the article explained. And it ran about 1,100 feet. So it's like, we ha it has to be big enough in case... There's a, you know, there's a crash on the interstate and we Somebody gotta needs go. to go in it. We have to go get the books, separate the books from each other and be like, oh, oh dear, you know, Jane Austen ran into Shakespeare. Oh, good gracious. Let's go clear <laughs> that up on I-95. <laughs> <laughs> Clean up in the cereal aisle. Mm-hmm. A so-called car could travel the distance in two or three minutes and Ainsworth Rand Spotford, the librarian of Congress at the time, told the Post that, quote, a book can be received at the Capitol in five minutes after the order is sent from there to the library, end quote. Requests for volumes were sent by pneumatic tubes. I mean, it's pretty quick. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, for the time, a, very, a pretty impressive yeah. feat of engineering. It's, it, it really is like being at a bank. Yeah. You just put the Living thing in the tube and it's foom, foom. Later, the John Adams building was also connected to the main building by pneumatic tube system, which enabled books to be placed in leather pouches and whisked across the street <laughs> in an impressive 28 seconds. It's just like, doom, 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 shoom, shoom. That's very ah, fast. Ta -ta. It's very fast. I'm very impressed. This is yeah. eight, nine, 1895. 28 Shoes. seconds. Yeah. But, oh, I know. I'm already it's mad. So I'm already mad at this note. The original book tunnel was lost in the 2000s when precious subterranean space was needed for the underground capital visitor center. And we have been there, and I would argue you do not need that. No, I no. am mad because I, I did so not know mad. that we had to sacrifice this ingenious system. For lines. For the visitor center. So that people can get in line. Also, why is it to be underground? Put it above ground. Right. Do you know There's what I mean? There's space. There. Hey. Put it above ground. Right. I'm mad. That's upsetting. I know. It's so annoying. People can stand outside. Cool. We had to stand outside to get into the Supreme Court in the rain. We did. We stood in the rain eating we did Starbucks. Stand in the rain. Back before when I was still on regular birth control and I was on the two days where I wasn't on estrogen. And it was then during that Ooh. trip that I realized my body did not enjoy estrogen withdrawal. Yeah. yeah. It was a it was a sketchy, it was a long wait outside. Long, but you know what? Day. We did it. I we would have it. happily stood outside so that we could preserve the book tubes. Same. That's all I'm saying. That's all you're saying. Next fun fact. The position of the Librarian of Congress requires a presidential appointment. In 1802, President Thomas Jefferson made the Librarian of Congress an appointed position. The Senate only began confirming the president's choice of librarian in 1897. Love. 
love, as a 1984 Library of Congress information bulletin explains, quote, presidents thus have a genuine opportunity to shape and influence the Congressional Library, noting that Jefferson and the Roosevelts were among the chief executives who greatly strengthened the library's national and cultural roles. I love it. I love I mean, it makes sense. I yeah. don't have any qualms with that. No. Seems legit. Yeah. Next fun fact. The library adds more than 10,000 items to its collection each working day. Insane. I don't understand. Well, I guess if you've Insane. got 3,000 people working for you and they're each doing three to four books a day. Is that the math? That's the I math. I think that's the math, right? Yeah, I don't know. Three, six, nine. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like three to four a day that each person, if they're all there working full time, are, are doing. So they're taking in 10,000 mm-hmm. items into its collection each working day. But they receive 15,000 items every working day. Who is writing that much? I don't know. It's not. It's not me. You know, I write a fair amount, but it, I should, uh, I have yet to submit to the Library of Congress. I think they need my work. They do. I'm very they humble. Do. And I do as well. Thank you. <clears throat> but those numbers don't just include books, nor is everything in English, as about half of its serial and book collections are in foreign languages. Sure. Yeah. The library keeps audio materials, manuscripts, maps, microforms, sheet music, and photographs, to name a few. It also maintains the National Film Registry, which preserves such treasures as The Big Lebowski, Jurassic Park, and The Sex Life of the Polyp for future (laughs) generations to come. What a list. I love this. What a list. I love it. Three, three, you know, just three examples today. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what? I was like, you know, somebody was sitting down and they were like, what are the three most different movies you could possibly imagine? Yeah. To like really differentiate the different tastes of Americans. Right. The vast array of films that the Mm -hmm. National, that the Library of Congress (laughs) contains. It even collected public tweets for years, as Wamu reported in 2017, but went on to note that as of January 1st, 2018, the library began acquiring tweets on a, quote, very selective basis. We really don't need the tweets. No. We don't need really the tweets. don't need the tweets. No. There are few tweets that you need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very few. Very few. Okay, last fun fact. Do you want to have access to the library's vast trove of knowledge and books and manuscripts yes. and all of that? Then you yes. just need yes, you just need a reader identification card. Anyone 16 and older with a reader identification card may access the library, though some rooms require researchers to be at least 18. But it isn't like a neighborhood libra- library. Visitors can't remove items from the reading rooms or the library buildings. I think not. Sure. Take out yeah. one of the two copies of Jurassic Park. Can't, we can't lose Just it. bring it back when you're done. You can't lose that. Shoot. No. Very important. The card is valid for two years from its issue, and you can pre-register for your card up to two weeks in advance online. So if you want to go visit, if you're going to D.C. and you, you want to go. visit the Library of Congress, yep. up to two weeks before your trip, you can put in essentially an application. You can pre-register for your library card and you can go sit in the library of congress and read things 
and read things. Read dusty books. Yeah. Yes. I love that. I can't wait for my own experience at the Library of Congress. Yes. Which I'm sure will happen at some point. It's a cool place. Yeah. I think it's honestly, it's just one of those institutions in DC where I'm like, hell yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No notes. No notes. No notes and I have no No qualms. I'm just like, yeah, keep doing your thing. Maybe, maybe get another building. Yes. But, you know, to, to kind of expand it into. Right. But other than that, I think it's doing great. I think it's doing great. And I feel like it seems like they're pretty efficient. I mean, I'm sure there's a yeah. backlog of some kind, but considering they get 15,000 submissions a day and they're going through 10,000 a day. Right. Like, I don't know. Put some of those people to work in other departments. That seems pretty efficient to me. I know. Shoot. Love that kind of efficiency. You know, in D.C. So with all that said, that is our episode on the Library of Congress, y'all. Yeah. As always, if you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us. We love you so, so much, and we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye. Goodbye.